the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 291 for December 25th, 2011. AT&T abandons its bid for T-Mobile, clarifying the data controversy with the Galaxy Nexus, and log me in for iOS is now free. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Happy Hanukkah. Happy whatever holidays that you're celebrating this week. We are here on Christmas Day. We are going through all the latest news of this week, albeit very little this holiday week, but we're getting ramped up for CES and everything that's about to hit us here as we jump into 2012. It's the calm before the storm. Absolutely it is. And you know what? It's funny that we say that because there was actually quite a bit that happened this week. And before we get into all of that news, I want to talk about something that was actually kind of controversial in a post that I wrote about the 4G LTE issues and the Samsung Galaxy Nexus on Verizon Wireless. Now, uh, let me kind of go through a little bit of history here. So I had talked about in my latest Verizon Galaxy Nexus review that there were some issues with the LTE connectivity of the device. And you know, the speed tests were quite good in most areas that I tried it out in. But I I also noted that uh, the upload side seemed to be a tad low. Um, I also was seeing fewer bars and less signal strength compared to devices like the Droid Charge and the Thunderbolt and also an LTE USB stick that I had. So I decided to dig into uh, the issue a little bit. And so I ran some speed tests, um, you know, side by side with the Droid Charge and also the HTC Thunderbolt. And uh, I noticed a couple of things right away. So first off, the speed tests were showing up as uh, slower on the Galaxy Nexus than on either of these other two devices. Um, I think that actually was kind of just a a happenstance thing. We'll get to a little bit more of that in a bit. But the biggest issue that I noticed was far fewer bars showing on the phone. And then also when you go into the service status menus, I was seeing signal strengths on both the Droid Charge and the HTC Thunderbolt that were in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 uh, dBm better than what I was seeing on the Galaxy Nexus. And so I wrote up a post on this and basically saying, you know, there's something wrong here. This is this is absolutely not right. I have not don't know what's going on here, uh, but there are issues here. Hopefully, it can be fixed. Now, shortly after I did this, an Antec pointed out something very interesting, and they said that the, the DBM that's being reported on the Nexus uh, for is for the 4G LTE service that the device is receiving. This is a change in Android with the new ice cream sandwich, where they're actually now reporting what 4G service is show, showing up on the phone. So if you're in a 4G area, it's going to show you what 4G is. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, this is a different than what we had on everything previously to this. Uh, basically, devices like the Charge and the Thunderbolt are actually showing on the device your 3G service. So if you see, go into and see the service status, it's going to show you something, you know, probably pretty good if you're in a good Verizon coverage area. Uh, and that's what I was seeing is I've got great Verizon service pretty much everywhere I go. And so the signal strength, say, on the charge was negative 71 dBm, where, where I pulled it up on the Nexus, it was negative 107. And I'm thinking, well, this is not good. If I manually forced the Nexus to go back to 3G, I was right back down there in the negative 70, negative 72 dBm. So it was right there with these other two devices. So this was this was kind of interesting that that this is what was happening here. Um, Verizon, however, had acknowledged that there was an issue. They said the signal strength issue uh, is currently being investigated. We don't have an ETA, but software is being developed. Uh, and then just a couple of days later, they said that we will be adjusting the signal strength indicator to more closely match other Verizon wireless 
wireless devices. I don't know what this is going to mean. I don't know if they're going to take and artificially inflate the bars on this device, if they're going to change it so that the ice cream sandwich uh, implementation is going to be actually reflecting what's happening on the 3G side rather than the 4G side. Um, but anyway, you look at it, there, there, it's very interesting how this is showing up here and kind of a, uh, you know, I almost jumped the gun here in how I started talking about this and how negative it was. But the answer or the question is still out there, and that's why is the latency about 50% higher on the, 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 the Nexus than it is on these other two devices? And why are the upload and download speeds slower? Not a lot, but they're still slower than these other devices. In my assumption, it is, it is a brand new device. It's a brand new operating system. It's probably not quite as optimized as it should be yet. So I, a software update's probably going to fix some of those latency and speed issues. Then the software update's going to probably adjust the, the bars versus DBM display. So it's going to show you more bars with less DBM. And they're probably going to switch it to the 3G signal strength and not the 4G signal strength because they have a lot more 3G signal strength out there and available in CDMA everywhere you go. So it makes more sense for them to match that right at this point in time. So I think they're going to do all three of those things, Mickey. So the the most interesting thing to me about this is the fact that we were showcased that you're showing now uh, 4G service on the Galaxy Nexus. I am now horrified by the 4G service that in the areas that I travel most. I, I, I have up to this point thought, you know what? Verizon really did this right. They got the 4G solid. Everything has been, you know, it's, it's always full service wherever I go. And uh, I'm one, two bars max uh, with 4G when I was traveling around. And it just, it, I, I had no idea that it, that it was, I don't want to say it's that bad because here's the flip side to this. Even with one bar of service, I was still getting, you know, 10 plus megabit per second downloads. Um, and on the upload side, it was still around two, sometimes three or more. So it's still good. It's still fine. Uh, the bottom line is if you've got a 4G device, if you've got a Nexus, if you've got anything that is running on the LT network, you're probably going to be happy with it as long as you're in the service area. Okay, so now let's take one more step back here and, and say, okay, so now we've got this fourth generation technology, LTE and WiMAX, they're both kind of, uh, they're similar, but the the benefits, and that's why the carriers wanted to, uh, to release these uh, new protocols and new uh, standards quicker because they actually work better at lower DVMs with farther away from the towers at to maintain more consistent speeds throughout the range and you can have, a, they, they can go farther. And this is the benefit of all, even though the, the, maybe the signal strength meter doesn't show you that much, it, it doesn't matter. It's not really an issue that you had only one or two bars. You know, it, it is showing you that you've got the, the good speed still. And it, it, it is a little bit of an adjustment here because it's a, a different, it's a new technology and it's much more uh, robust and can handle the lower signal strength better. And that's why the carriers want to uh, release it because they need a lot less towers to maintain the same, same footprint that they have with the 3G and the older technologies. And I, I, I love that, that that is exactly what um, Verizon said was going to happen. They said, you know, we are not going to need to have the the high level of signal strength that we have for our 3G networks to maintain these high data speeds. I mean, everyone knows if you're on a 3G network and you go to, you know, three out of your five bars or, you know, even worse, you know, you're going to really see speed suffering there. And it, it just doesn't happen quite as much here. And that's really, as, as Joey mentions here, a testament to this new technology. Well, and, and this is why the carriers want to, to deploy this so quickly, and that's why they are deploying it so quickly, because they realize they can return on their investment very rapidly because not only do the customers want, I mean, as you've seen, 
drastically faster download speeds, you know, much better latency. And then they need less towers. Guess what? Less backhaul, less actual towers, less electricity, less huts that you need, less, you know, landline cables going to each one. It, in, and of course, less maintenance because there's a lot less facilities. So it's a, it, it's, it's, a, it's a win for everybody because then, of course, then you've got further range. So it, it, it is something they want to implement because it will save them money in the long run. And I guess I never really looked at this as, you know, an issue up until, of course, there's this this little stupid meter, bar meter in the corner staring me right in the face going, okay, your service isn't as good as you thought it was. I never thought about it up until that point. Um, so really, if you... If you you know, look look at it from what it is and how the performance is and the actual experience. It's still very very good. It, it beats out pretty much anything else that's out there, um, and, and I, I'm I'm happy with that and I'm impressed with that. And the overall experience is is better. So, um, you know, I I feel I feel like if you're someone who is considering the Nexus, this should not be an issue that's stopping you from buying it because it really is a non-issue at this point. And I would absolutely recommend um, this as a solid 4G device at this point. Yeah. And the, the latency and the speeds that you saw, I'm sure they'll get that fixed up real soon. I, I totally agree with you. Software, tweaking, hardware, we'll, they'll get it dialed in and, and everything will be good there. Well, next today, almost one year ago, I took a look at one of Microsoft's new Windows Phone 7 devices, the Samsung Focus. And at the time, I determined that while it had a very simple and friendly UI, the OS really wasn't made for the power mobile device user. Rather, I liked Windows Phone as a good choice for those who were just entering the smartphone market. But then in mid-2011, Microsoft announced new features coming to the platform in the form of Windows Phone 7.5 Mango. This huge update added over 500 new features, and so I decided to take a look at it running year-old hardware, the T-Mobile HD7, running the latest Windows Phone 7.5 version in my review. Now, my bottom line with this one, and I go into quite a bit of detail about all the some of the biggest new features that are out there, about a dozen of them, is that uh, having used Windows Phone um, you know, last year and then taking a look at it this year is kind of a lot like how I felt uh, we saw a generational update with the iPad. The first-gen iPad um, w- was decent, uh, but it still wasn't quite there, and I didn't think it could be useful uh, you know, in a day-to-day situation. Uh, they've really taken it up a notch here with Mango. Android, iOS, and even BlackBerry users are going to take a look at this and uh, actually feel pretty good about being able to use this as a replacement for it. Um, you know, it's it, it really is only um, in the few percentage points of market share right now where you've got over 50% of the U.S. smartphone market taken up by Android. You've got almost a third of it there by iOS. BlackBerry is dropping, but they're still uh, around 15% or so. Windows Phone is, has really not taken on yet. But that said, they really have an impressive amount of third-party developers that are engaged in this platform. It's, I think, somewhere between forty and 50,000 apps right now, which is not the 500,000 that Android and iOS have. But you know what? These are quality apps. There's pretty much something uh, that's going to replace nearly everything that you're using uh, on these other devices. Uh, so whether it's you know a music streaming application, you can get Slacker or Pandora. If you want to get, uh, obviously, a client for your social media, there's Facebook and Twitter. I mean, there's, there's enough out there to really kind of keep you at bay there. Um, The main apps are there and ready for you to download. But here's the deal. When it comes right down to it, if you're entrenched, happy, and fluent using your Droid and or iPhone, there's a good chance that Windows Phone 7 is just not going to do it for you. Um, I, I use a lot of different devices. I, I try a lot of different smartphones, um, and I try and be platform agnostic. But uh, I can appreciate everything that they've put into this, but it's not going to replace my iPhone. Um, the enterprise adoption of Blackberries and, and general angst by consumers towards the Windows brand, uh, I think, is going to keep Windows Phone 7 as that number phone, phone number four smartphone 
platform through 2012. I do not think that they're going to be able to overtake BlackBerry with this. They keep talking about being that number three uh, operating system between behind Android and iOS. I just don't see it happening in this coming year. To me, I think it is uh possible slightly just if uh, Microsoft and Nokia really come in hard uh, with a lot of advertising a lot of marketing with it they could uh, overtake BlackBerry uh, it, you know at least a sp- if you're talking just consumer users not enterprise business users but I think they have a chance because it is something that is different and new um, and, and also you got to remember this review was on slightly older hardware uh, compared to what's brand new and current right now so if you were on something that was the latest and greatest, it may have actually been a better experience as well. Uh, how was the keyboard on this? Um, still not good. Um, I, <laughs> I did not. I didn't like it on the on the initial implementation. I, I didn't think it was um, much better on this. Keep in mind, again, this is the HD seven. This is bigger hardware. It's four point three inch screen. Um, I would say it was it was somewhere around what I would say is one of like the one of the Galaxy. Um, S2 devices on Android, I, I, I was about as happy with that, um, which is to say not. Um, I, I did not like using it. Um, the, you know, they do have the voice uh, where you can do the voice to speech or voice to text thing, but only in certain apps like messaging. Um, and it, it just, it, I did not like writing text messages or emails on it. That probably did hinder, um, you know, subconsciously a little bit in my mind, the actual usability of the device, because I didn't find it myself using it for much other than consumption. I wasn't doing any creation of, of emails or anything like that. And if it was, it was just a quick snap a picture and send a picture off like I did a couple of times. Or I'll tell you, the internet sharing feature of it is really slick. It's just, a, you know, you slide a toggle and you've got internet sharing on. Um, I use that multiple times during the review just because it's such a useful thing to have that one click uh, be able to tether. Um, you know, it just it's something that's nice to have. And I'm glad that all these, these OSs have it now. BlackBerry, I'm looking at you. Get it done. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this is... I would say that was probably probably hindered it a little bit. I don't know. Any anything else you want to know about this? Because I when I looked at this, I tried to be, again, as objective as possible. And I love the new features, but I still come away from it going, I, I'm I've got no interest in buying one of these devices uh yet today. Okay, so my take on this, uh, you know, if I have friends or family members that are kind of looking for a smart smartphone or they 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 they're maybe coming from a Blackberry and want a new phone right now i'm kind of recommending them an iphone right now but to me this seems like a good alternative to an iphone for somebody who's not real technological uh real sharp what is your opinion on that i think absolutely it makes a lot of sense because like the iphone when you when you turn it on it's not you're not looking at a desktop that is unpopulated um and you're not looking to have to do all this customization to really get it you know get the device up to speed like android does you know an iphone makes it really easy you can pick up an iphone up and out of the box pretty much use it for the life of the device without installing any third-party applications and still get quite a bit out of the device um and, and not that to say that you can't do that with android but it's just right there in front of you with the iphone and that's what i appreciate about windows phone is that it's like that with the tiles and um, it makes it really easy to you know to go through and slide back and forth it's it's kind of a no frills type of experience and uh, you know um, I don't know the one thing I, I found is that I was not again I said if you're fluent on Android or iOS you may find a little frustration with this and that's I think where I was at where it was it was good and I could get you know back and forth between things but not quite as fast as iOS and it was nice to be able to you know have not nearly as many options as and ways to do things as Android sometimes feels like it has uh but then at the same time I sometimes was like I I wish there was an easy way to change 
at, you know, this setting or that setting or something like that, because it didn't quite have as much, uh, you know, where you, the user can dive quite as deep into it. So um, I, I still feel like this is a great option for the beginning uh, smartphone user. If you're looking to jump in and to use something that's not an iPhone, and, and I fall into that trap all the time where it's like, well, hey, you know, an iPhone's really going to be really an easy device. And uh, I mean, quite honestly, isn't it not another part of it is that you don't want to get the phone calls afterwards asking for help on how to use the device as well? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it really is. You, you, yeah, you don't want every five minutes. Oh, how do you turn this on? How does how do you make this work? And then it's like, well, if you tap that thing below, pop up the settings menu and then hit this and then hit that and then scroll down to get to the other menu, then hit advanced and then hit the, the tab that show. Yeah, some of these menus are so deep. You, you just don't want that. Yeah. And I don't think that there's uh there's any real reason that most smartphone users should have to go through all of that. I mean, there, especially when you're, you're jumping into this, you'll eventually get more proficient at it and you'll want to dig into stuff like that. But you know, really it's, I want to take phone calls. I want to send text messages. I want to check my email and browse the web now because I've got a smartphone and yeah, I'm going to dabble with some applications, which for most people means Facebook. And you know, Facebook is such a, it's such a big app, you know, what are the 800 million people around the world are now using Facebook that it, it's good that they have this here. And it, it's a really, it's a good implementation on, on Windows Phone. I do like the Facebook app on here, and uh, I, I appreciated what they had done with that. So, um, you know, overall, though, it's it, even though this year-old hardware, it did not feel like it was a year old. I mean, it still had a, you know, it's got this one gigahertz processor in it and still has, you know, plenty of speed to, to push through the operating system like it needs to be. But yes, absolutely, it is a year old, and it probably would be better with newer hardware. I understand that. But, you know, just a general takeaway from it, it's good. It's better than what it used to be, and uh, I will not be buying one. So there's my there's my bottom line. Let's jump into the news. Uh, talking quickly about a couple of things here that happened this week. Not real interesting for discussion, but just something to note. Light Squared on Tuesday issuing a letter to the FCC demanding approval to build its 4G LTE network. Their EVP said Light Squared has had FCC authorization to build its network for over eight years, and that authorization was endorsed by the GPS industry and fully reviewed and allowed to proceed by several other government agencies. Commercial GPS device makers have had nearly a decade to design and sell devices that don't infringe on LightSquared's license spectrum. They have no right to complain at the 11th hour about incompatibility when they had ample opportunity to avoid this problem. LightSquared argues that they have the right to use the spectrum and is asking for a declaratory judgment from the commission. Well, I mean, if you really do, uh, you know, I think they're actually right here in this argument. I mean, it's, I mean, the spectrum was sold to them with that uh, purpose in mind. And then all of a sudden the FCC says, oh, no, you, you, you can't do that. We, we may not give you approval for that because, because, you know, it interferes with GPS. So, you know, obviously there is some give and take here with the technology on their side of things. But uh, this is a, it's an interesting uh, dilemma here. And if they don't get this approval, light squared will be uh, gone. Absolutely. They're, they've talked about the cash flow issues that they've had. And, uh, you know, I think that this is this is kind of the last push. They're trying to get this done here. Um, I don't expect to, to see much of anything as a response from the FCC specifically on this. Uh, but I do believe that they, they are really trying to, you know, give it their last uh, effort here, best effort that they possibly can. And, and hopefully we'll get it pushed through. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll see if it happens. Uh, it doesn't look good for them at this point, though. And while most of Nokia has moved on to Windows Phone 7 as its primary focused, the legacy Symbian platform still lives on through Symbian, Anna, and Bell. However, Nokia announced this week in a blog post that the upcoming update will change the name and the OS will now be referred to as Nokia Bell. The update will roll out to the Nokia N8, C7, and X7 in February. 
The release also doubles the number of home screens to six and an improved status bar, as well as improving the performance of its widgets. AT&T on Monday announced it is ending its bid to acquire T-Mobile USA from Deutsche Telekom. In a press release on Monday, AT&T said the actions by the FCC and the Department of Justice to block the transaction do not change the realities of the U.S. wireless industry. It is one of the most fiercely competitive industries in the world, and the mounting need for more spectrum that has not diminished must be addressed immediately. AT&T and T-Mobile USA would have offered an interim solution to the spectrum shortage, and in the absence of such steps, customers will be harmed and the needed investment will be stifled. Now, AT&T will reflect uh, the breakup considerations with a pre-tax accounting charge of $4 billion in the fourth quarter. That's $3 billion in cash and $1 billion in spectrum assets. AT&T now enters it to a mutually beneficial roaming agreement with Deutsche Telekom, where T-Mobile USA will be given a chunk of AWS spectrum in 128 markets, including 12 of the top 20 markets in the U.S., which includes L.A., Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, Washington, Boston, San Francisco, Phoenix, San Diego, Denver, Baltimore, and Seattle. And AT&T also agrees to sign a seven-year UMTS roaming agreement, providing T-Mobile coverage to 280 million pops, up from its current 230 million. The timing on that was not disclosed. This is a huge uh, deal. I mean, one of those things we we talk about it. Uh, you know, we talked about it earlier in the year where we I kind of felt like, hey, this was a done deal. I thought AT and T is being as big as they were, just pushed this whole thing through. Then, of course, the you know the year goes on. The FCC comes out with their you know their comments about it. The DOJ files its suit, and uh, ultimately, it just did not look good for them. And they've kind of come out and kind of said, you know what, we're done. We can't do this right now. We're going to eat eat the $4 billion and we're going to move on. A seven-year UMTS roaming agreement is, is quite staggering. Um, that means pretty much for almost the extent of how I ex- see UMTS playing itself out. And we're talking about 2018 here. How much longer can UMTS go on from there? We're, we have 4G networks right now. We'll probably be on to a fifth-generation network uh, at, by that time. So I would imagine that UMTS will be all but gone at that point. So basically for the life of what AT&T is going to support on their network, T-Mobile is going to be able to use it where needed. Well, really kind of what that means is if you uh, are thinking about T-Mobile or currently have T-Mobile, what a boon for you for as far as the, you know, the coverage in this, in these, some of these, you know, areas where they're, uh, this is being supplemented. So it it will actually be very, very good for T-Mobile. And I'm honestly, I think T-Mobile's in a position right now where they're going to go, now what? Because they've got, as they've said this week, no plan B. There's no idea for what they're going to do with this. Sure, $3 billion in cash is nice, but when they've got no spectrum to build out uh, you know, a 4G network, anything additional to what they have right now, I mean, they're working with this, this UMTS uh, iteration here. We're now talking about 84 megabit per second. But that's just software and, and, and some hardware upgrades for this current network. This is not going to change the fact that they still have no additional, um, you know, real good plans for what they're going to do in the future. And so they have to figure something out. This doesn't mean that uh, AT&T is not out of the acquisition race with anybody else. It just means they're not going to be doing it with T-Mobile and vice versa. T-Mobile could still technically be acquired by somebody else. It doesn't mean that the, the FCC and DOJ have said, we don't want any more acquisitions. We just don't want this acquisition. And I, 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 I kind of 
I, I saw it coming, but I didn't want it to happen. I don't know why I didn't want it to happen, but I really thought AT&T would have benefited from this, and I thought it would have been something good to help, you know, enhance, um, you know, what they needed to do. Um, you know, maybe I just bought into all their marketing or whatever it is, but, um, you know, for T-Mobile customers, yeah, Joey's absolutely right. I think this is a big, you know, boom for you. Um, and, and, you know, if you're looking to get into T-Mobile right now, it may not be a bad time to. Um, you know, I've... I've kind of thought about this both ways. Part of me said, well, I don't know. They don't know what they're going to do now, so maybe it's not a good idea. But then on the other hand, I think, you know what? You're going to have the advantage of, you know, this additional spectrum that they're going to be able to use for whatever it is that they want to use it for. You're going to have additional coverage where you need it. You're still going to be able to get decent devices. They've got good devices on their network. You can bring pretty much anything to their network. They're very open about how they allow you to do things. They don't, you know, force things, uh, you know, caps and stuff like that down your throat like AT&T does. So T-Mobile is not a bad option right now and uh going back to the story we talked about last week where it looks like they've got some 1900 megahertz pcs roaming showing up from place to place or pcs coverage showing up from place to place you could potentially take any device that has 1900 megahertz service and and use it in places now so uh there's some good things that are coming out for this and joey i know uh you know you're you mentioned here a couple of things here but um just one other question about it do you think at&t is going to be able to bounce back from this and and what do you think their ramifications are going to be well, they're, they're so big, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue, but uh, I, I know they were counting on that spectrum to uh, help build out their LTE markets. So uh, we'll have to see what uh, comes out of that as well. And I don't, uh, I, I, I think you're probably right with that. I don't think that there's going to be any big problems with them and they'll just, they'll continue to move on and uh, do what they do. Speaking of on Thursday, the FCC allowed them to purchase the 700 megahertz spectrum, AT&T that is from Qualcomm, the sale price, $1.9 billion. The old media flow spectrum covers 300 million people across the country and will be used to support the downlink side of AT&T's 4G LTE network. The NFL, in conjunction with NBC this week, announced plans to have the Super Bowl streamed live to Verizon subscribers via applications on phones and tablets. Additional camera angles, highlights, and other stats will also be available. This is the first time the Super Bowl will be officially available outside of a network partner television broadcast. Verizon on Wednesday said its 4G LTE service is returning to normal following the second nationwide service outage in as many weeks. According to the carrier, service is returning to normal, and after the company engineers had worked to resolve an issue with the 4G network in the early morning hours. Throughout this time, 4G LTE customers were able to make voice calls and send and receive text messages. The 3G data network operated normally. Verizon did not disclose the cause of the outage or when the service would be fully restored initially, uh, but then, of course, it did return to normal by midday Wednesday, and we still have no idea what caused the outage. But, you know, the the whole reason I think a lot of people go with Verizon is because of the reliability factor. And it's not just the service on and, you know, outages that that seemingly don't happen with their their networks, but it's also because it works pretty much anywhere that you go. And uh, they're doing a good job of building out a network that works in, in a lot more places than anyone else's 4G network. But if it's not up on a regularly reliable basis, is it even worth it? And um, I, I'm wondering what they're going to do to address this. And it's it's a very strange thing because it's not like it's just a tower is going out. It is the entire network. It's like someone kicked a plug out from a router in some switching station. And and I'm I'm not exactly sure how I feel about this yet. I mean, do we chalk it up to just growing pains of a brand new network or is this something more that we should be concerned about? Well, it, it's both. I think it's because it's a new network, but also, you know, they, they try to save money. And of course, reliability and redundancy is something that uh, gets eliminated when you try to save money. So it's a, it's a little bit of both. 
I'm not overly concerned about it. Uh, I was uh, kind of impacted with this when the outage happened just uh, the week before last um, where I was traveling and I really needed to have the LTE service while I was sitting in an airport and I didn't have it. Fortunately, I was able to tether a T-Mobile device. But, uh, you know, it was it was pretty frustrating at the time. And uh, I'm about to here in just another two weeks heavily rely on their LTE network at the CES convention. And uh, I, I'm a little concerned uh, that we could have another, another issue during that time and I'll be out of luck. Well, that's exactly what I was going to bring up, Mickey. Just think if you're in the position where that's your mission critical job. And, and, and of course, companies that are more worried about security, you know, because you want a VPN in to your company and, and use an online active streaming sort of not save anything to your laptop hard drive. You know, if you're an employee, at, at, you know, when you've got customer data or employee records or, you know, customer data or, you know, social security numbers from students or, or whatever it may be on your laptop, you don't want those files stored in your laptop. You want to use a dedicated, secure, encrypted tunnel into your corporate network. And in order to maintain that kind of security, you know, LTE and these really fast networks are wonderful to have road warriors out there and to to be able to work remotely and not put any of this data at risk of being stolen. And if the network shut down, you know, there you go. There's you lost your productivity. So uh, reliability is is a very important factor because if this keeps happening here with Verizon, uh, you know, people who are using LTE for you know mission critical applications such as uh, even government and police and fire, we know that they're switching to LTE. They're going to go with AT and T. And I've actually thought about it. Should I potentially continue to keep? my T-Mobile line just through CES so that I've got an additional option in case something does happen with this. And that is ridiculous to have to think about that, that I can't rely on a network. You know, I've got AT&T, my fallback then is my Verizon LTE, and I'm going to potentially go with a third one now just to get some reliability out of this. I, I Not a big fan of that. I hope that uh, this can be worked out and uh, that we either hear some answers as to what this has you know, been causing these problems and they can we can move on and, and, and not have them in the future, or maybe they can be localized if there's something that's happening, you know, it's not affecting the entire country. Um, I can understand a localized outage based on weather or some sort of, uh, you know, power issue or something like that. But when it's the entire country, something is just not right. I'm just not a fan of that. So uh, anyway, that was uh, that was on uh, was that Wednesday of this week is when that finally got returned to normal. Well, Leap Wireless on Wednesday announced that Tucson, Arizona was the first market to go live with its 4G LTE network on the Cricket brand. The service covers 90% of the Tucson CDMA footprint, and they will continue to build it out, including a reach down to the Mexico border town Nogales. The first device to access the network will be the Huawei Bolts, a USB modem that sells for $150. Data plans are $50 a month with 5 gigs of data included up to 3 megabits per second, or $60 a month with 5 gigabytes of data at up to 6 megabits per second. Leap said that in October that it will cover a total of 25 million people with LTE by the end of 2012. Page Plus this week revealed an ultra-low monthly plan offering wireless services for just $12 per month. The 12 plan provides 250 voice minutes, 250 SMS messages, and 10 megabytes of data for just $12 a month. Page Plus marketing manager Danny Schur says that the plan is intended to help those looking to cut back and save money. Page Plus does not offer any smartphones, rather just four feature phones from Kyocera. 
MVNO, Republic Wireless, announced on Thursday after evaluating feedback on its services that it would be truly offering unlimited voice, text, and data services for its $20 per month fee. Republic began offering the unlimited service last month with the caveat that you had to use Wi-Fi networks most of the time, and after a fair use policy went into effect, if you went over the usage on 3G, they would potentially kick you off the network. Now, according to a blog post from the company, rather than revising our fair use policy, we've decided not to have one at all. There will simply be no thresholds, no risk of losing service. We're doing away with all of that to keep all of our focus instead on where it really belongs, creating a new wireless feature together. A feature that is simple to understand, unfettered to use, and amazing value for all. That's what we started down this path to do. That's where the power of this vibrant community, dynamic Wi-Fi ecosystem, and revolutionary technology should be invested. Now, Joey, this kind of is now taking away that caveat, that, that asterisk next to the Republic Wireless. Now, you can go and get the service and you can use it where you probably are already spending a lot of time on your Wi-Fi, whether it's your office or your home or wherever. And when you're out on 3G, when you're on, you know, it's the Sprint network. So when you're out and about on 3G, you don't have to worry about potentially going over some fair use policy. Is this now something that's going to make it a little bit more enticing for people? I think so. I mean, how could it not? Because the the price seems right. Uh, the unlimited, you know, not have to worry about minutes and, and counting every little penny and little kilobyte of data you're transmitting. Uh, it seems like a pretty good solution. The only thing I don't like about it is that you have to buy their own uh, hardware. You have to bring, you know, buy this one device that they have, and it's, I think, $200, and it comes with the uh, the first month of service or something like that. So it's a little bit limited in that uh, regard right now, but it, uh, it nonetheless, it still is a smartphone. Well, you know, but there is there is a reason for that. And, and if, you, if you think of what it takes to get some of these devices approved through the engineering and all the qualifications for all the data network and for the uh, to, to make sure that it really is effective, um, you know, that's a huge process for, for the carriers to approve new devices. So this saves money on their back end for their, you know, their internal support. Uh, to have just one device it also makes it easier to support for customer facing if you know customer issues and how to program it and and things that come up and of course for firmware and software updates it's one device so it's a lot easier to maintain so that is why there's only one device because it 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 saves them money and it makes it uh you know easier and simpler for them to to uh, provide the service at a cheaper monthly fee and okay, that does make sense. And I, I'm, I guess I'll be all right with that. I, um, I just hope at some point here that there's going to be a little bit more open about the number of devices that are offered and maybe different platforms and such. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. Uh, maybe not platforms. I have a feeling they'll stick to the Android. They'll, they'll, they'll keep one platform. But of course, probably every year they'll probably update it is my, is my gut feel. But they may not have more than a couple of devices, especially uh, until they get to be much bigger. Well, and for $20 a month, it's really hard to argue with that if you're looking to save a little bit of money. I mean, that's that's a pretty good deal. And now that there's no uh, restrictions on it, uh, if you're someone who's picked up the service, we'd love to hear from you on how it's going. Well, you can help support the cell phone junkie and the work that we do here each week by signing up for TCPJ Unlocked. The Unlocked podcast is our bi-monthly premium show, which is only $5 a month, $12 a quarter, or $45 for the entire year. With it, you'll hear in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews 
interviews with industry experts, and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link for TCPJ Unlocked. A big thank you goes out to everyone that subscribes. And on this week's show, we are releasing the 100th episode of TCPJ Unlocked. This is our longest, most content-packed episode that we've ever done for Unlocked. We discuss the year in review, our predictions for 2012, and everything we thought was going to happen, and whether or not we got it right. So make sure you subscribe to get this latest episode. Joey, what a privilege it was to do this 100th episode here, especially with you. Thanks for all the hard work that you've done, and uh, it was just a ton of fun, and I know everyone's going to love listening to it. It is. You know, it's so fun to provide that extra little something for the listeners, you know, where we can actually kind of uh, get away from just the the news of the week and, and kind of break down what's happened overall, get to go through what, what happened this year. And, you know, when you really do look back, it's amazing how much happens in this industry in a year. It, it really does uh, blow you away. And sometimes uh, time really becomes warped as far as what's happening and when. I, it, it is amazing. It's at 100 episodes. And if you're a subscriber to this show and you're not listening to TCPJ Unlocked, uh, I encourage you to try out the show just for a month. It's only $5. Uh, you can cancel it uh, if you don't like it. And, uh, you know, you only have to go through one month of it. It's only $5. And uh, it helps the work that we do on this show, especially if you like listening to it. And there has never been a better time to check it out. Let me explain why. So the 100th show will be released this coming Tuesday. Uh, the following week uh, is when we're starting to get ready uh, for CES. And then finally, CES starts, I think it's uh January uh, 8th or 9th or something like that. Uh, when we go to CES, we do all sorts of stuff. We go through uh, the trade show. Uh, we see all the new stuff that's out there. We talk to a ton of vendors. We do shows where we talk about what's happening on the show floor, what's happening in the media events and all this kind of thing. And so you're really getting um, an inside look as to what CES actually is. 150,000 people attend uh, and it's just an absolute blast. And we'd love to share everything that we can from all the people that we talk to with you. So during the CES week, we do a number of different podcasts. It's not just the one uh, every other week that we put out. You're going to hear multiple shows that week. Um, usually it's to the tune of probably two to three during the time that we're there. Of course, there's a lot of production that goes into it. So uh, we want to do, uh, we want to encourage you to subscribe. If you subscribe now, you'll get this latest 100th show. You'll hear probably the, one of the best shows of the year where we talk about everything that's happened and what we think is going to go forward, which is really a kick to listen to going back the year, the year after and seeing how good it was that we actually did. And then you're going to get within the next couple of weeks a number of other shows as we go through CES. So again, I encourage you to subscribe uh, just to, to check it out. And if it's something, again, that you don't like, you do not have to stay subscribed, but uh, I think you will. It's a pretty good show. We enjoy doing it every week. And so we think you're going to like listening to it. Absolutely. You know, it's things like, uh, you know, this upcoming year, I kind of maybe think Apple's going to go uh, kind of back to their strategy from a while ago where we had MacBooks and MacBook Pros. And when you were at the coffee shop, you know, a lot of people had MacBooks and then there's a few people that had pros and you're like, Ooh, I want the MacBook pro. Cause you could always tell it real obviously. And, and I wouldn't be surprised this year if uh, Apple kind of goes back to that strategy since they've moved away from it now. And pretty much there's one product for everybody. I think to uh, maybe increase margins a little bit, they may start doing uh, iPhone pros and, and iPad pros where an iPad pro to me would be a bigger model where it'd be a 13 inch uh, or 11 inch, uh, probably 12, maybe 12 uh, iPad size. And then an iPhone pro maybe worth a bigger screen. Um, so I, I think that uh, this could be something they do this year. So this is just one example uh, of the, the crazy predictions that we have. And it, you know, it sounds logical, but think about this. 
in a year from now, are we going to be sitting here going, yep, Joey was right. We have the pros. Uh, there they are. Or are we going to be going, wow, they did a to- went on a totally different direction. And that's what makes it so fun. So again, we talk about our last year predictions and everything that we have coming up. So listen, listen to it. You'll, you'll love it. It's, it's really fun to hear. And uh, thanks everyone who's out there who has subscribed to it. And we encourage you uh, to check us out if you are not. Just a couple of devices this week. First off, C Spire Wireless on Thursday announced the immediate availability of the Motorola Milestone X2. It's a rebranded version of the Droid X2. It's available for only $100 after rebate and contract. And then on Thursday, Samsung announced two new Android 2.3 gingerbread smartphones called the Galaxy Y Duos and the Galaxy Y Duos Pro. The Y Duos is a slab-style device with a 3.1-inch display, 830 megahertz processor, and the Duos Pro has a QWERTY keyboard and 2.6-inch screen. Both have three megapixel cameras, video recording, Bluetooth 3.0, Wi-Fi, GPS, 32 gigs of micro SD storage support. The devices will be coming to Africa, Asia, and South American markets in mid-2012. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can also support us and the work that we do uh, through the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application. It's available for both the iOS and Android for $1.99. For the true Cell Phone Junkie, it brings every Everything that this weekly show has to offer in a simple and effective application. You can listen to every episode going back uh, for the entire year. You can star episodes and listen to them offline. You can also get into some extras like following the show's Twitter feed directly through the application or contact us directly either by sending us an email or giving us a call and uh, also view a PDF of all the show notes directly on your device and follow along as we go through the shows every week. Thanks to everyone uh, as well for downloads. It has downloaded this application and uses it on their device. Into software this week, Google updated its Google Voice application for the iPhone on Wednesday, offering new features and Sprint integration. The Sprint partnership lets iPhone users send all calls through the native dialer using your Google Voice phone number. Other changes include sending of text messages to multiple recipients at the same time, a contact autocomplete, and a multi-line text entry field. The update is free through the iTunes App Store. It's great they finally got this update. I can't believe it took them that long to get the Sprint integration uh, put out. And of course, I'm so disappointed they didn't update the way the app works and updates. It's so clumsy on iOS and how you get a notification sometimes and then you have to hit like tap 10 times on the screen and drag and get it to to update the conversation for the SMS uh, on there. And and of course, then there's still no specific iPad version that runs in the full screen mode. It's just the, the blown up iPhone version. Uh, it, it, it is frustrating when it's an app that you use really, really regularly. And I'm in there all the time. I love Google Voice. I use it quite a bit. Uh, one thing I did notice, and it was actually quite frust- frustrating, is that soon after the release, reports started appearing that the update actually broke the functionality to place calls through your Google Voice phone number. I did confirm it. Uh, when I attempted to place a call, it actually routes it through your iPhone number, not your Google Voice number. No word from Google on this and if there's going to be a fix or not. So uh, be careful with that. If you're expecting someone to see your iPhone number uh, when you call them, or your Google Voice number, excuse me, they may see your iPhone number. I did confirm that that is the case. So that's not good that's not good at all i mean what every this is like what five for five now for uh google application releases being horribly broken when they come out on the 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 app store here this is the google currents was terrible the google gmail application was worthless the whatever the last thing they released was broken and they had to pull it for another week or two what is going on here I sometimes don't even, I wonder why I even bother uh, using applications like this, you know, and it's just because it's like, uh, there's not much better. I mean, actually, that's not even true. There are much better applications that are out there than the the native one here, but that one seems to work the best and you don't have to do any kludgy, uh, you know, 
pushing of uh, messages out to another email address so that it notifies you properly and stuff like that. But boy, it's it's really frustrating. Anyway, I guess I'm uh, glad and, and fortunate that I don't make a lot of calls through my iPhone and then I just receive them. But, uh, you know, I was a little disappointed when I tried that out and it did indeed come from my iPhone number. Well, remote access service LogMeIn has dropped the $30 cost of its iOS application, allowing anybody now to use the service on their iOS devices for free. The new application lets you access your desktop computer remotely to manage and run applications on your PC. Users who previously paid for the LogMeIn Ignition application will be grandfathered in for in-app purchases available for things like watching uh, videos remotely, cloud storage integration, and printing. The app is free through the iTunes App Store. If you are someone who has a desktop computer or even a laptop computer that pretty much lives as a desktop computer and you want to access that, whether it's to manage things that are happening uh, on a home network or manage something that maybe even if it's just an occasional download that you're trying to see what's going on with it or whatever it is. Log me in is probably my favorite way to do this from a handheld device. I've been using it now for over a year. I would gladly pay them another $30 for the application. I use it constantly, um, and I use it on both my iPhone and my iPad quite a bit. And uh, now that the service is free, um, I highly recommend that if this is something that you need, uh, you may have tried out other applications. Log me in works well. It works every time. Uh, never have an issue with it. There's no firewalls to deal with or anything like that, and just generally is a good product. Um, they're not paying us anything for me to say that i just use this one all the time yeah the only thing is there's some pro application features that you it's now a yearly basis where it's 40 dollars a year to upgrade to the pro features of the log me in so you get some of the things that you had with the uh, log me in ignition uh that they've kind of stripped out of this free version but it's uh you know it's kind of a give and take and honestly those things that i get grandfathered into with the purchase that i made of the ignition app I don't use. I, I, you know, I have the cloud storage integration, so I can actually move things uh, from a desktop computer over to Dropbox directly through LogMeIn, which is actually pretty cool when you think about it. If I've got something that's maybe a big file that's stored on a computer and uh, I don't have it in Dropbox because I don't have the storage, but I, I need it, you know, now uh, I can move it over to Dropbox real quick uh, directly through here. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, a file browsing type application uh, built into this as well, um, you know, and, and other things in there. I don't do any remote printing but I suppose if I needed to, I could. So it's um, it's nice to have them, but for the majority of people that you're just looking to remotely manage a computer, all you need is the free version. Go check it out. It's really, really nice, and uh, I'm really glad that they've decided to do this. And Joey this week brought up a, a game here that was released uh, a couple of weeks ago, but then uh, brought way down in price in the App Store. This is Grand Theft Auto 3, Rockstar Games, celebrating its 10th anniversary with one of the most influential games of all time in Grand Theft Auto. It's got a, uh, a lot of things that have been upgraded with this here. And uh, Joey, the price is now only $2.99. It's uh, pretty hard to pass this one up. Yeah, it's on sale this week. So if you are interested in this at all, it, uh, it's on sale both on Android and iOS. And if you buy the iOS version, you get it for both your iPhone, iPod Touch and the iPad at the same time. It's one of those dual apps. So that's kind of neat. Uh, and it's on sale for a couple dollars off the normal $5 price. And, uh, you know, it's just it, it's a really uh, it is a violent game, as everybody knows at this point, at least they should, because it's been out for 10 years. But it, it is a very a uh, unique game and especially when it came out it was just actually uh, groundbreaking because it was so unique in the way the world is laid out and in the the interactivity of the game so it's just kind of an interesting one to check out 
Yeah, and again, this one is on sale probably through December, let's say December 29th. So you've got a couple more days to pick this one up if you're looking to grab it. Google's Andy Rubin on Wednesday announced that there are now over 700,000 Android devices activated every single day. That's 235 million a year, meaning by the end of 2012, expect close to half a billion Android devices in use around the world. Dropbox this week released a new version of its Android app, bringing new features for Android 4.0. The app has been rebuilt with features like bulk uploading of photos and videos, an improved gallery view, renaming of files and folders, and accessing files offline. The service is free and available for Android smartphones running Android 2.1 and higher, free in the Android market. Nokia announced two updates would be coming to resolve battery issues with the Lumia 800 Windows Phone handset. The company says they believe the issues are completely software-based and that only certain variants of the model are affected. The Lumia 800 has been very well received, but issues of not being able to access the full battery capacity may persist. Owners can check to see if they're affected by going into the device's diagnostic tools by dialing pound pound 634 pound. If you see your full charge capacity less than 1,000 milliamp hours, then your device is affected. Nokia is offering replacement phones for those with the issue. Nuance Communications on Tuesday announced that it would be acquiring Vlingo technology. Nuance says that the technology will be used for next-generation natural language interfaces for smartphones, tablets, and other devices. No word on the terms of the deal or when it's expected to close. Streaming music service Spotify on Wednesday released its mobile application for GSM models of RIMS BlackBerry, including the Bold 9780, 9700, 9300, and Bold 9000, as well as the Curve 8520. The application currently does not work on OS 7-based devices or those with CDMA networks. Motorola issued an update for the Droid Razor on Monday, fixing various bugs, including a SIM card area er error, camera quality issues. Uh, I'll put a full list in the show notes here, but the update will be rolled out over the air. Samsung this week announced plans to upgrade the Galaxy S2 and the Galaxy Note to Android 4.0 ice cream sandwich after the first of the year. Further, they also expect the update for the full tab line of tablets shortly thereafter. No word on when, if any, uh, or when, if any, of the other carrier branded devices such as the AT&T Skyrocket or Sprint Epic 4G Touch will receive the new version. And then Google on Tuesday said that they had put the Android 4.0 ice cream sandwich update on hold for the GSM version of the Nexus S following the rollout last week. In a statement from Google, they mentioned uh, that the Android 4.0 update will continue to roll out around the world shortly, uh, but they have been pushing it out uh, to a certain number of uh, folks, and then they paused it, and then they'll be monitoring the feedback. Uh, This is actually kind of how things go, and I wanted to mention it because this is really the rollout for Google when they do these updates for the devices. Uh, This is not new. Uh, This is not like they paused it because there's an issue with it or anything. They just push it out to a bunch of different phones, and they stop it for a while, see how it goes, make sure all the phones are responding well, getting the update, no, no bugs or anything like that. Then they'll pick it back up. So if you've got a Nexus S and you have not received the update yet, don't worry. It will be coming for you very soon. I know the Nexus S 4G as well uh, will be receiving it. But Joey, I do not think there's any timeline for that yet, correct? No, 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 uh, no official announcement for the Sprint version yet. Uh, We'll just have to kind of wait and see what happens. And and, and realistically, even just, you know, a few weeks here will make a big difference as far as bug fixes. They may push another, you know, maybe a, a... 0.4 0.4 version of the because right now it's 0.3 for the 4.0 um we'll see what happens here because they, they they probably will identify some issues 
Yeah, and I think there there could be a couple of things that they tweak or whatnot, and then they continue it. But uh, either way, it's going to be really nice to see the ice cream sandwich uh, on uh, these devices eventually. Uh, and while we've uh, while we're at it, talking about Samsung here, we talked about uh, the updates to the S two and the Note getting ICS in the first quarter. Uh, Samsung also mentioned something this week where they said that the original Galaxy S and the original Galaxy Tab uh, will not be getting Android 4.0 ice cream sandwich. They said that the lack of sufficient RAM and ROM plus the experience-enhancing TouchWiz UI pushed them to make this decision. The Verge pointed out that it is a little sketchy uh, that the hardware for the Galaxy S is nearly identical, though, to the Nexus S, meaning uh, that it's all about TouchWiz. And and this is, uh, you know, good or bad, the user skins or user interfaces that the, the carriers are putting on here are are really, uh, I think, in many ways helpful to customers if you're new to an Android device and you're not really comfortable with what you know raw Android is and having to do all the customizations. You've got all these widgets and things that you can set up and make it, you know, get your weather customized and you can put on other you know little news feeds and stuff like that. Maybe as, as a power Android user, you're not interested in these, but I do honestly think that there is a place for them and I'm, I'm glad sometimes that the, the, the carriers are doing these, not the carriers, the manufacturers are doing these. But in this case, it sounds like Samsung is deciding TouchWiz is not going to run on top of Ice Cream Sandwich on this hardware in a a good way. It's not going to run well, and so they've decided not to do it. So instead of pulling TouchWiz off of their devices, they're just choosing not to do the upgrade. Now, of course, what they're not saying here is that nothing is going to change about your device. It's not like it's going to stop working. It's not like gingerbread is going to be a bad experience. It's still working for you right now just fine. So look for it to continue to go. But um, Joey, I'm going to ask you, you know, how do you feel about this as someone who's using uh, the Nexus S and doesn't have to deal with uh, TouchWiz? Well, you know, this is the reason why you go with a Nexus device because you won't have this limitation on a, on hardware that you know can run it. Um, I'll be able to get the upgrade and, uh, the, you know, this is kind of the uh, situation you get in when you purchase a device that, that doesn't run a, a Nexus flavor of the stock Android. But of course, uh, if anybody's willing, you know, they can do the, the rooting and, and put the CyanogenMod mod nine they'll have eventually on here and probably some other flavors will be available to run on the galaxy S of a ROM, uh, you know, if they're daring enough to do it, but uh, you know, that's kind of what you're going to have to do because I know it will be available for this device for a third-party ROM. I'm honestly, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I feel, though, that most people who pick up the device are, um, you know, was it almost two years ago now, a year and a half ago, probably not really expecting uh, this to come out. Um, you know, I, I was I was happy to see, you know, that there was, um, you know, that there was going to be plans to get the, the, the upgrade pushed out to the Galaxy S2. Uh, and then you see something like this where they say, okay, the Galaxy S, you know, is not getting it. Well, I didn't really expect it. Um, you know, I, I see their point where they, they have to have that TouchWiz UI on there for the differentiation point and, and for the stuff that, you know, the, the business um, uh, ideas that they have and what they want to do with their devices. But uh, it is, you know, one of those things, if you do not want to get stuck with issues like this or software where you can't get it upgraded because of uh, something like this, choose a Nexus device and you won't have to deal with it. So that's that's plain and simple. All it is to it. And finally, in software, Sprint on Thursday announced the HTC Evo 4G Evo View 4G had been updated to Android 2.3 Honeycomb. The update brings all the normal Honeycomb features along with disabling of the capacitive buttons. It also brings system-wide support of HTC Scribe. Users must manually download it, but Sprint will push the update out to users in early 2012. We'll put uh, instructions in the show notes as well if you've got a View 4G that you want to manually upgrade to Honeycomb. 
in comments and questions this week, first off is a comment from Craig. He says, Mickey and Joey, I thought I would be, uh, you would find it interesting as this has been on the forefront of mobile news drama recently. My mother-in-law called me the other day, excited and overjoyed about the new purchase of her U.S. cellular iPhone. I was immediately confused as to what she was talking about, knowing full well that U.S. cellular does not carry the iPhone. She was under the impression an iPhone was in the category of a phone, rather not a brand. She had, in fact, purchased the new Samsung Android uh, Samsung Android device on the network, and I asked her if the sales consultant at the store told her it was an Android, and she said the consultant told her that the phones, either Samsung or Apple's iPhones, were the same. I started thinking back to my earlier opinion that Apple uh, may be going overdoing the Samsung litigation on design copy, but after hearing this, I began to wonder if some of Apple's issues with Samsung are valid. I don't believe this specific occurrence is anything Samsung specific as it could have happened with an LG or a Motorola device as well, but I do think it's worth mentioning as the lines continue to be blurred between the platforms. I thought you would find it interesting. Love the shows, Craig. And uh, yeah, Craig, this is a very interesting one. I I, I kind of I, I kind of can absolutely see this thing playing out when you walk into a re- carrier store where you've got someone who doesn't quite understand the differences between the operating systems and they they say well I want an iPhone well we don't we don't have the iPhone but this is basically the iPhone and as they continue talking about it it probably will eventually come out as well they're this is basically the same as the iPhone you can check your email you can browse the web you can do this and that and the other thing and for someone who's not you know fluent and understanding of these devices which is is sometimes hard for us to realize because we are so entrenched and so involved in what's happening in the industry, it just almost seems second nature that we can see the the little differences between these. But um, you know, bottom line is people are going out and buying Android devices because maybe they don't even realize that they're not buying iPhones when that's what they think that they're buying. Uh, very good point, and you know that is really difficult to deal with because um, you know this isn't the case everywhere, but uh, and not for everyone, and it depends on the store and the retail location whether it's one the authorized one or not, but. You know, salespeople will have a tendency to maybe not uh, tell you the truth when you're buying something like this. You know, they get a commission on this particular device this week, so that's what they're going to be pushing, even though it's, uh, they'll tell them, you know, flat out lies about it. I mean, it happens when you buy vehicles. I mean, they say, oh, the, yeah, this car was traded in uh, one owner, it had a perfect, you know, impeccable service. They have no idea where that car came from, they have no idea the history. It came from an auction somewhere. And but they'll tell you it just came in yesterday with this great story and and, and but they have no qualms on telling you things like that. So it you know it's you really do have to take these things with a grain of salt and you know do your research before you go because you, you they're not every salesperson is trustworthy. And I feel like this is why a lot of times we have the show that we do because we want to talk about all of these different issues that are out there and help people understand what's going on and the new technology and the new devices. And yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, Craig, that, uh, you know, your, your, I think it was, you said it was your mother-in-law, um, you know, had this, you know, this, Hey, I've got a U.S. sailor iPhone now. Okay. Well, that's interesting. You know, at least U.S. sailor has uh, found a way to get the iPhone on their network, even if the company won't support putting them on there. Uh, themselves. I got the next two here. We're going to lump together. One is a question from Kenneth. The other is a question from a random text message. Uh, Kenneth says, I just purchased a new LG Optimus V phone, and I wondered if I can use a payload plan and be able to talk and message and download applications. And then the text I got says, can I port my current phone number to a payload phone number? Uh, So let's go to uh, Kenneth here. And and unfortunately, Kenneth, no, the Optimus V needs to have the beyond talk plans because of the data connection on an Android device. 
Uh, this is uh, the, kind of the downfall with the CDMA uh, version or CDMA functionality of, of having the Beyond Talk devices here. Uh, you just can't move the SIM card between devices. Rather, you need the carrier to intervene and make the move. And uh, it, I, I, I'm pretty certain that they are not going to activate uh, this device on a payload plan because they're going to force you to get one of the Beyond Talk plans. And as far as porting the phone number, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is possible to do this. You need to have an active payload account and then you can port uh, your number into it. Uh, Joey, I know you've had some experience with porting uh, in and out of prepaid. No issues, really. Really? Yeah, no, never had an issue. I mean, I don't know exactly about payload. I didn't look them up uh, ahead of time, but I'm sure it's possible. I, I haven't come across a prepaid that hasn't allowed uh, porting your number in or out yet. Okay. Uh, well, I would say absolutely go for it. Uh, I see, again, like Joey, has no reason uh, why it would not work. Next one here is a question from Patrick. He said, hi, it's Patrick again. I'm an avid listener of the show. I want to hear your opinion about a matter with Android. The questions are related to each other. Number one, why is it so hard and slow for manufacturers to update their devices? Is it really that hard, uh, but do they find it easier to bring out new devices with the latest version, or do they just want to sell the new devices? Is there a good reason why manufacturers love to put their own overlay on the device? And aside from to differentiate them with other uh, manufacturers, uh, also, if they put vanilla Android and they push updates faster, uh, is it a better selling point than having a slow, clunky blur sense or touch whiz? Number two, I noticed that there is only one plain Android device at a time, the Nexus 1, Nexus S, and now the Galaxy Nexus. Is Google controlling Google controlling this and that uh, their only device should be the plain version? Or does the manufacturer think that their overlay is better and that's why they worked hard, so hard to put it on the phone? And number three, uh, what happened to the pledge made at Google I.O. that manufacturers uh, will upgrade their phones 18 months after launch? Lastly, is it just me or do you guys share the same sentiment that the physical button on the front of a phone like the iPhone and the international version of the Galaxy Nexus makes it much easier to press since my thumb is already resting there rather than reaching for the top of the device to wake up the phone? Thanks, Patrick. Well, Patrick, thank you very much for your questions. Uh, let's take the first two things together. Um, I think the rate for the manufacturers updating the software on the device has a lot to do with the optimizations, um, the skins, the UI layers, you know, like those moto blurs and whatnot, add time uh, when they have to do the changing of the underlying OS. Um, now, the enhancements are sometimes negatively viewed, but as I just mentioned, I think they're actually useful for a lot of people and those that are just getting into smartphones and intimidated by Android uh, can really be helpful to them. Um, but as you mentioned, it serves as a differentiation point as well uh, between the devices running on the OS and in much the same way, the computer manufacturers have been doing this for years. If you look at a Dell and all the software they have on it, or you know, even an HP, computers are, are, are totally in the same realm as this where manufacturers just put everything on it. I mean, it's a Windows box, but it's got their own stuff on it. Yeah, and, and of course, these Android customizations are more intense than that. And I know a lot of people actually prefer TouchWiz or SenseUI, you know, whichever one they've gotten used to. Uh, I know Motorola's front end, they have a completely, uh, they've done their own custom exchange server, ActiveSync uh, client, and it's better than the native Android's um, uh, ActiveSync, you know, exchange server email. So, you know, things like that, you actually do get some benefit. And yeah, absolutely. That's is why it uh, takes them a lot longer. And also that they release so many devices, you know, it's hard to keep updating all of them. There is only going to be one Android uh, Nexus device at a time. Google is totally controlling it, um, so I would not uh, expect to see anything else other than that. They're going to do one device a year. It's their developer phone. That is uh, that is it. That's what they're going to push for all their developers to to work with, and 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 that is that. And there's absolutely no reason why manufacturers. Um uh, don't create their own, maybe not so much Nexus phone, but uh, they, they, Samsung could easily uh, put out a Ross 
you know, raw Android phone that's Nexus like. Uh, there's just no reason that th- they're doing that right now. The T-Mobile G2X was very close to this. They had very little as far as carrier customizations on it. And so, um, as Joey mentioned, there is no reason why someone wouldn't do it. They just want to have this differentiation point and they want to put on other parts of, uh, you know, a UI overlay to help people along with the operating system. Yeah, absolutely. On the, the tablet side of things, I know the, the Asus Transformer, there, there is no front end. That's just raw gingerbread on there. So uh, it, 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 there are devices around, like you mentioned, that, that, that are just stock Android uh, that are put out by the manufacturers. Uh, as far as the 18-month pledge on phone updates, uh, your guess is as good as mine. We've heard exactly zero about that since they made the announcement. I would say, well, updates are better than they once were. A lot of devices made in the last 18 months, uh, like we mentioned with the Galaxy, uh, the Galaxy S, they will not be getting the ICS update. Yeah, I know somebody who just got Galaxy S's uh, on T-Mobile really not that long ago, so they're already not going to get ice cream sandwich, but the devices were out for a while, and of course, ICS wasn't finished until really just... Uh, a month or two ago, if that uh, it, it's still not finished and memory requirements may not have been completely set. They probably thought, oh, yeah, we can definitely get by with devices older than this. But now that they've gotten to the actual release date, they may find out that uh, we don't have enough memory to go back and support these older devices. That's probably why the Galaxy S is uh, sure. I never looked up these specs, but it's probably got less RAM or ROM to handle the newer ice cream sandwich with the it's probably much larger memory footprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, finally, here on your home button question, a uh, couple of home button comments here. I tend to agree with you. Uh, to your point, I'd much rather have a way to wake the phone with a button um, on the screen rather than the, the power button on the top. This drives me nuts with a lot of Android and, uh, uh, of course, Windows phone devices as well. I, I rarely use um, the button on the top of my iPhone to actually wake up the device. It's always that home button on there. Um, and I also really like having the button in the center on the iPhone. Um, it's really kind of how my brain is you know, learn to use a smartphone ice cream sandwich adds um, the home button that they have while you're working with the operating system to the, the bottom middle in the UI, which is present in nearly everything that you do, which is really, really nice. And I appreciate that they've done that. Um, you know, the capacitive buttons are not there, uh, you know, with, with the new hardware, the devices that on the old hardware that are going to be getting the ICS update will still maintain those, those buttons. And so you'll still be able to use them the same as what you're using them right now. It's not like you're going to all of a sudden lose that little strip at the bottom. Um, I don't think, at least that's my understanding of it at this point. No, no. I, yeah, I think it'll be about the same. Yeah. Next one here is a question from John. He says, Hey, I read your galaxy Nexus review. Could you please explain how you were able to get T-Mobile to get your galaxy Nexus on their monthly 4g plan? It seems that you had to buy a prepaid handset. So, uh, you bought a prepaid handset, activated it, then simply put the SIM in the galaxy Nexus. I'd like to confirm this procedure before I commit to buying a $700 device and dropping my grandfathered AT&T unlimited plan. Is this correct? Thank you, John. Well, John, you've got it. Uh, that's exactly what I did. I activated the cheapest phone that they had, um, took out the SIM card, put it in my Nexus, and uh, I'm actually now using it in the HTC HD7. It's also working great. Um, uh, also would recommend go back and listen to show number eight, 289 and 290, uh, where I went through my detailed process at the beginning of 289 of how I did this. And also in 290, uh, Matt talked in detail about, a, actually, I think a better way to do it, just ordering a SIM card from T-Mobile and then activating it on the $30 plan over at tmobile.com. It's a Walmart-specific plan uh, when you buy it in Walmart, but it is available on tmobile.com. That is in the fine print of the press release as I went back and kind of looked at this. So while it's being marketed towards uh, Walmart and Walmart says you have to use a Walmart device, 
it's not really the case because you can just go buy a T-Mobile SIM and activate it on T-Mobile. The caveat, though, is you must be a new T-Mobile customer with this. You can't just bring on over a, an existing T-Mobile line. Um, I don't know what that means for leaving T-Mobile and coming back, though. That is a, a, an interesting thing. My guess is they would probably take your money again and give you another $30 plan again. In fact, I may try it. I may just drop my uh, T-Mobile service and go try and reactivate the SIM a day later and see if I can get that $30 plan back. But um, yes, that is absolutely uh, what I did. And, you know, so I, I would absolutely say go for it. It's working right now. I think T-Mobile is going to want to, you know, keep using, uh, keep having you as a customer. And uh, so they'll keep the plan working indefinitely. So I wouldn't have any qualms about dropping your, your AT&T plan, especially if uh, the Galaxy Nexus is the way you decide to go. And, and I got to tell you, it's a great device. I really think you're going to like it. Finally today, a comment from Oliver. He says, I had to add another line to the business and I needed an unlimited data plan. Something no longer offered by AT&T and Verizon, but Sprint seems uh, seemed the carrier to go with because T-Mobile does not provide 3G and 4G speeds in most of real California. Uh, but as we all know, Sprint charges a $10 premium data fee. So the solution for me was Credo Mobile. It's a Sprint MVNO and they sell Sprint 3G and 4G service without charging the additional fee. Since this phone will require most data access i was uh i was able to save some money compared to sprint happy holidays oliver and uh, i'm gonna include a link here for those that are interested in uh, what this actually means to credo mobile and you can go check it out they're an mvno they sell sprint services and uh you don't have to pay the extra ten dollar premium data fee so uh not a not a bad way to go i guess and i never used them never really heard of them actually maybe just in in passing but Uh, That is that. Well, uh, again, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you out there. We'll be back uh, next week. It'll be 2012. It's amazing that we're already at that point. And then CES coming shortly thereafter. And uh, we'll probably have some news this week, but not a whole lot. So if you have any questions or comments for us, things we can discuss for you on the next show, please contact us by sending email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or by giving us a call, 206-203-3734. And of course, you can follow everything that we do through a number of different ways. The easiest way is through thecellphonejunkie.com, but we are, of course, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thecellphonejunkie or on Twitter at twitter.com slash cellphonejunkie. I am at TCPJ underscore Mickey, and Joey is at TCPJ underscore Joey. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.